You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. And welcome again to the Monster Sci-Fi Show. I am your host, the Monster, and I'm Mr. Gene. Mr. Gene is making a special appearance on this third installment of our Dune Book Club podcast. And why? Because it's Dune. It's Dune. <laughs> well, no, I mean I've done it before, but I thought it'd be special for us to, before we send it off to ourselves. In the past, uh-huh. talking about Dune is coming out in the future. We're going to talk about the Dune in the present. Yeah, I know. I'm just your guinea pig. I know. <laughs> We're going to do. And you liked it. I eventually. Eventually, but we wanted to talk about the new Dune trailer, and we just rewatched it again just to kind of give you some ideas or some feelings about that before we go into the third book. The world is not ready for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie will fall again once again at the. Overly done, overly expensive, overly long analog of films done by Denis Villeneuve that will never be finished, but it is amazing. It, it, definitely it looks is. amazing. Yeah. And the thing is that, again, every, I'll say 20 years, they'll redo Dune, or some will try it. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be the third. Uh, time right. that Dennis David this. Lynch and the, the Sci-Fi Network and yeah. then and now this version which I'm like come on stop doing this but then again I felt the exact same way when I heard Batman Begins is coming out again I'm like really we're doing Batman again and then that blew me away and the rest is history so maybe in this time around with Doom might get it right yeah not like the Tick that we had <laughs> Right, there's it keeps two, coming out. There's the animated one, and then two live actions, and whatever. But because Barry Sonfeld can't get enough of it, right? Like, stop, it, stop it, Barry! Stop it! Stop it, Barry! Stop it! Not run, Barry, run. See what I did there? Um, no one did. I <laughs> yeah, did. No, no one. Did. I went to see like, <laughs> no one Jesus cares about your references. But the thing is, watching the Dune trailer, the way it all looks, it looks magnificent. And the concern is, and we talked about this in the past book club podcast, was that, yes, we're going to see this in a big screen. Yes, we're going to see this in HBO Max. But they didn't film the second part. And I'm like, They're not going to be able to finance to be able to fill the second part. Unless you want strange things. It might get done like Star Trek Discovery Season 4. Picard season two. <laughs> I have no idea who's financing these things. Right. I don't want it, but here it is. And, and the thing is, you know, if we don't get enough of a big audience to watch this, but there's no audience for this. But that's the thing, you know. There are stuff that are like no one's asking for another Lord of the Rings series. Amazon is doing it. Mm-hmm. No one's asking for the Wheel of Time series. But Amazon is doing this. No one's asking for the Foundation series. Yeah. But, Jeff Bezos went to space. No one else is asking. For <laughs> no one's not, not for his return. Well, I know he's he's got people that will pay right twenty eight million dollars. Just yeah, okay, that's great. But with Apple TV doing the M, uh, the Foundation series, you know you have all these great properties that 
No one ever thought you could ever adapt them to the big screen or the small screen. But we live in that world that that's a possibility. And I think that we should take advantage of that. Right. It is sad that no one will watch this movie. But there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You, are, you have your, your $26, your $30. Bucks. You're up to $300 plus to throw up this movie and it's merchandise. If you want to. Right. Do whatever you want with that. But... Because you'll love it. You are going to love it. We are all going to love it. We have to love it, Gene. No. The Spice is no. Life. <laughs> this dude trailer is our life. I, look, I didn't... <laughs> Thanks for the cup of Kool-Aid. I didn't drink it yet. <laughs> I poured in the plant. The plant's dead. I don't know. You will swallow the water of life, fucker. <laughs> no, not. Kind of turned Paul all fucked up and <laughs> see things. He's and got shit. blue within blue eyes. Look how he turned That's out. environmental poisoning. That's yeah. just... But again, there are, there are lines. Michigan. Are, no, I'm sorry. There, there are lines. Oh, funny, my God. Sorry. Wow. There are lines in the movie that I'm like, that's not in the damn book. But it doesn't matter. It'll be iconic just the same. Right. Because, again, this is not a Dune for you. You are catching this in your 50s. Yeah. It's for the, the 20s and 30s generation. Well, I mean, they're, they're playing into the strengths of there's these stars that you know and other properties that we're bringing into this different kind of story that no one really knows enough of. Mm-hmm. Without Dune, we would never get Star Wars. We would not get... Tons of other properties that come from that world of Dune. You know, with Game of Thrones, we talked about as well. Hopefully, this is not going to be the issue like we had with John Carter's, where it's like, by the time you get John Carter's, the world already has passed you by. No one cares about this. And I hope that doesn't happen here. This movie has a lot to overcome. Yes. Again, the pandemic being the most powerful, right. most demanding thing. I don't know if in come October if there's going to be enough time to see this movie. Right. I don't think the world's going to be healed enough to give no. it the box office that it needs uh, and to get its sequel. Right. And considering how well or how not well the boxes are going to be, I think from no matter what, week, it's it's doomed. Yeah. You will get the, the initial people the first week, but then after that, this is on HBO. There's really no. I, I think unfortunately it, it's lost its moment. I think any movie that came out from 2020 to 2022, uh, late 2022, yeah. it's doomed. You're never going to get the money you need to. And so this will be a strange time in Hollywood box office history where it, it was just, there was force majeure. Right. You can't do anything about it. It just, this was the timing. We got to push the stuff out. Unfortunately, Dune is a casualty, which is so sad because it should be great. Right. But again, I don't think, I don't know even the best of times because it's got a lot of world building to do in a short amount of time. Right. And even when... New languages, new aliens, different yeah. ways of thinking. It's like, oh my God. And how to do it better than it was done the two previous times. That's just another thing to overcome. So it's got a lot to do. And unfortunately, I'm trying to be optimistic here, but yeah, there's a lot that it, I don't see this working out. But who knows what happens in the next couple of months. We were all worried... When we did the initial recordings back in October, November, how, you know, we didn't know that vaccines were going to be a rollout. We didn't know how bad the rollout of the vaccines were going to be. No, do we know there would be a Delta variant? That right. So, people in the so stuff has changed. Yes, we live in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> DeSantis. Ass. Anyway, so things can still happen, hopefully for the better, but I, it's hard to gauge it. But again, from what we saw in the trailer. I'm excited for it. It's more of a traditional uh, soundtrack that we hear from Hans Zimmer, which is available. The first two tracks, Paul's theme, and I forgot the second one, but you can listen to it from Waterhouse Music. 
which is WB. You can listen on, on uh, YouTube. One of the cool things that I love about it is that the music that was in the trailer, that's what you hear in the soundtrack, which is a good thing because most times, most movies borrow soundtracks or music from other movies and then you watch that movie like what happened to it i like that and like like the stuff that happened in star wars mm-hmm. the trailers were amazing i loved the music and then i heard that crap and I'm like that's garbage but in any case we're not going to talk any further other than please go watch the dune trailer <laughs> if you have not seen it by now please no, we try to sell the whole hippopotamus right see the movie and please listen to this podcast after. Please read the Dune book. Good so, luck with that. <laughs> because, you know, we did all the hard work. We did a whole podcast on why Dune is great. And then we broke down the book in three different parts, this being the last part of our thoughts about Dune as far as a book. So when you read the book, hopefully you go back to the podcast, listen to our thoughts. And you, too, can live in the same world that I'm living in, as well as me trying to drag in Gene into that world. How many of these damn books have you read? I've read up to uh, up to the third one. But Dune is the only book that I've ever... Dune, Children of Dune, and a little bit of Heretic of Dune? Uh, Dune Messiah, I think. There's six. There's six. No, I know. Right? I know. But I think Dune Messiah is the one that the Sci-Fi Channel did with... No, it's Dune Messiah and Children of Dune is what they did in the second Sci-Fi Channel movie. They combined the two okay, together. Okay. But what I'm saying as far as Dune itself, the first book, that's the only one that I've read over and over again Why? Do, why the love for Dune so much? I mean, I, I've gone through it. I looked at the glossary. I understand it. I will try to read it again before I see the movie or shortly after. All right? Because it, it was good enough. Yeah. But, oh my God, it is difficult. It is. To get through, because there's a lot of weird mythology. It's very basic in the storytelling. It uses some tropes, and you're like, oh, my God. Did you just tell me about a betrayal that happened in right. Chapter 1 that I'm then seeing in Chapter 14 or 15? That, right. like, Yeah, we're, we're doing that. Like, oh, my and, God. And I think that was the whole thing about me being very intimidated by the first book. It is, it is a tome. It is thick. It is big. So as such, I had the confidence to get into The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, which I started today, because that's like over 700 pages. But that, too, also has a glossary, and it also has maps. So these are very big stories, big worlds to kind of delve into. Dune kind of did that for me on an epic scale. So I've had The original. It's the original infection. Right. So to me, that's my basis of having the, the leapfrog to do bigger stories to kind of get into those other franchises. So that, to me, I think that's what's been helpful. So Yeah, the way I do it, I just need, I just need a trade paperback cover. Trade paperback, trade paper. not fucking pa- mass market, <laughs> which I got on Dune. But a trade paper, a whole bunch of Post-it notes. Yeah. And, or no, and, more page markers and, and, and a audi- fucking pencil. And audiobooks, too. And audiobook to I'm, help do this particular tome, yes. Yeah. So I definitely recommend those, too. Because it helps a lot. I, I had a lot of difficult... Yeah. For you, I went through this. Yes, you did. As our friendship, I was like, all right, the movie's coming on again. Yeah. But we went, we, and, the, and watched the movies too. Yes. Um, that's the other thing you should watch. At least I. But have someone that understands it walk you through that. Right. And I did that with someone. And also, she had at least a better understanding what it was. Because it is confusing. It if, is. If you try to watch that movie cold, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? Right. Because I went into a cold too. But I had a friend that said, this doesn't make any sense, but I know you will love it. 
And sure enough, yes. Eventually you did. Yes. And like, there's something there. I get it. And the more I delve into that, I really dug into it. So I got it. But uh, on that note, I'm going to be really excited to turn it over to us talking about Dune. I think it was January that we had the discussion for this podcast. And today it's uh, late July. Late July. Yeah, the last week coming up in July. So things have changed. Hopefully for the better. So on that note, I turn it over to us talking about Dune Book 3. Sadly, let's get started. <laughs> I was talking to Heather. Don't sound so excited, Monty. And we've worked on this for such a long time that I'm like, is this it? It's ending. I know. <laughs> Three I months went by really fast. Yes. Yeah. So it's it saddened me that, all right, we reached book three finally, right? Mm. All right. Oh, so, book one. Oh, book one, right. Uh, so <laughs> like I like I've read that far. I, I've done my best to like get the word out on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I even reached out to Brian Herbert. I tweeted out as like because I DM'd him. I was like, uh-huh. remember that that picture you liked, you know, many years ago? <laughs> it's like we're friends. <laughs> right. And I called him, hey Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey bro, come on. Exactly. Can you do me a solid? I mean, you took my support picture. your local library or exactly. not so local library. Not so local. So in August, you're going to try and try and contact Brie Larson and say, Dear Brie, my birthday is coming up. I mean, she's on YouTube. So. Please, maybe just do a fly by my house. Just peace. That's not how it works. <laughs> Anywho, so as we get started on this, one of the big things is that what are we going to do after this, right? Um, because Rebecca is now uh, downtown. Elsewhere. Uh, elsewhere. <laughs> Elseworld. Wait, uh, she got ingested by the worm? What? How? <laughs> she became the god emperor of Doom. There we go. <laughs> My official title. Spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry. (laughs) But one of the things that I wanted to see and kind of talk before we get started is that um, if we want to do this still on a Saturday, I'm being more than happy to do this once a month on a Saturday. You know, but the question is, if we do that, do we talk about more Dune or do we pick other sci-fi, maybe fantasy books like start off with a new series like Lord of the Rings or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or Neuromancer that Rebecca suggested last time. The Galaxy and bring towels. So, and that's going to be... How uh, really? Towels? Okay. Bring that's your a new towels. Being made on Hulu. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a new series being made on Hulu that's coming up um, also. Foundation? I did not know no, that. Well, Foundation is Apple Plus. Plus, yeah, right. We have uh, Hitchhikers coming on Hulu. Um, oh, okay. Nothing that I know about Neuromancer, but who knows? No, it was just related to Cyberpunk 2077. No, in fairness, that also is a, it's a, a, what do you call that? A, a touchstone moment in which you would have like cyber uh, punk come to the forefront of as storytelling with the yeah. 
So I and think, there's like the Matrix Four. I think is either still being in development, still being filmed. Right. So, so that was that, my idea. It'd be more genre specific while touching on the book, but it depends what you guys want to do. Right. Um, and then the other thing too is that you know I've been trying <laughs> to <laughs> type program so that um, we would move the book club to like a Tuesday from four thirty to five thirty, so that re- this way Rebecca could to do that while at work. So that's the other thing. Um, but again, that's what I'm kind of like want to hear from you guys and, you, and your thoughts. So, Gene? Yeah, what works for everybody else? I just want you to read Harry Potter, Monty. That's all. I've read, <laughs> I've read at I'm least asking. two books. So don't start with me. I'm so what? Well, I'm sorry. Did you just say at least two? Two Harry <laughs> Potter books. That's it. <laughs> Look, I've gone to like <laughs> this movie, and that's it. <laughs> really? How long has it taken you, Gene, to get into Dune? <laughs> hey, you know what? No, you can't touch me on that. I will pull you into the world of Harry Potter. I will make you love Dobie. I will, I swear to God. I'll <laughs> throw my sock on you. Right, I know. I got <laughs> oh, a sock free for me. Right out the door. Monty can do memes. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my. Um, so, yeah. And, of course, oh, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Uh, Amazon's going to be doing its new uh, sequel or prequel. That's thousands of years before that. So, definitely, Lord of the Rings is up for grabs as well. Is that still going on? Because I heard a lot of conflicting information no, no, about that series. It, yeah. It's going to be like the Rise of Sauron. Okay, uh, and then like somebody like spun it to me. They said that it was going to be like like Game of Thrones, and I was immediately like, "No, don't do that." <laughs> hey, maybe it'll be uh, Uncle's Elves or something. Oh God! Exactly. No. <laughs> like, wait a minute. No, but uh, what about the um, the uh, Wheel of Time? That's another series that's coming out. I think on Amazon as well. <laughs> Wheel of Time. Wheel of Time. Yeah, definitely. That's been in the watch for years. So, yeah, that's another great series that I would love to get into. So, tell me it comes in some other format. I only said book six. (laughs) Terrible thing to try to read. Hmm. I should have got it in the, I should have got, well, I should have gotten the trade paperback, not mass market. That was there. You go. I've never seen a page count for Wheel of Time. I wasn't aware it's like 800 pages. Yeah, like yeah. that's really long. We need more. We need something short, at least like right. <laughs> as a transition piece. Okay, okay. Like uh, a sorbet, the cleanser palette between. There the- you go. <laughs> oh, because I also I also pitched Neuromancer because it's like 300 pages flat. So. Okay. Short is good. Actually, I was going to say a, a shorter series that um, shouldn't be too difficult to find now. Um, but it's, it's, it's like proto-YA, I guess is the best way to describe it. Have you ever read uh, A Wizard of Earthsea? Or the no, but we should. That's a good, no, that's a good one. What is it called? The Wizard of what? Earthsea by... A Wizard of Earthsea is the first book. It's oh, like uh, Lagoon. Lagoon? Lagoon. Lagoon. Le Guin, Le Guin, Le Guin, yeah. That, that's a good, that's a good, because uh, that's a really well-respected sci-fi book, so, or I guess fantasy. 
Yeah. Or that's, the that's, uh, fantasy, yeah. Or yeah, the, that, that's the Lake of Heaven also, I think, would also be good. But yeah, uh, that's another good one. So I, again, we can think about what we want to do, but okay. put all these on a list, put them in a box and pick one. Yeah. <laughs> do a vote. We'll make you pick, Gene. Yes. No, you gotta do a live, a live like a live stream of you picking up the title, and it's yeah. gonna be the eight hundred page wheel of time. Yeah, be the drunk and like oh. Or the stand, you know. Oh god! Oh no! We'll be there for a year, <laughs> but I would do it. So, all right. So let's get started. So as we have for the past three times, our hosts we have Heather. Over in Sunset, we have Rebecca, which is now in Maine, but from her home. Yeah. And me, and There's me. no giant skull tapestry at Maine. No, just no. Putting it out there. no there'll, be, there'll be such tribal things at Maine. <laughs> All right. So we have with us you. Gene. You guys. You guys. Hi. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait, wait. Somebody pick up the crystal and go, long live the <laughs> No, we missed it. <laughs> oh, <That's> well. Gene, <laughs> uh, did, did you give him his Chris knife? Uh, we haven't been able to get together oh, yet. Okay. Well, Gene has. Fine, Gene. Thank you. Please, Joe, just for you. Come, I. Thank you. It will taste your blood. Because again, I've just learned that you can't achieve this. And for anyone watching this recording, these are not real. These were three D printed. We cannot hurt ourselves. Well, can you can? Well, you can, but you have to kind of try it. <laughs> your local librarians are not violent, is what I'm saying. <laughs> we made your chip, your Chris knife's chip, and um, oh my god, I forgot the saying. Break. Thank you. Break. Chip and break. Mm. There we go. There we go. All right, so as always, and maybe for our last time, we have our plans within plans. We have Dune News, Dune Toy and Surprise, which is for me, uh, Dune Comics, and then we'll do our book, uh, Dune book discussion, and then Dune References in Pop Culture. I thought I'd kind of change it up for our last go around. So the big news is that from last time, you know, Denny was really upset that Dune was going to be released. Um, same time on HBO Max as well as in the theaters. And looks like as of yesterday, Legendary, which uh, produces that movie and Godzilla vs. Uh, Kong, have come to uh, a financial agreement. So I think we're cool that October 1st is still going to happen. So the question now, guys, is that because we have these iconic movies like Star Wars when it took place in 1977, you know, that was like a touchstone moment for a lot of us. I can even argue that even Battlestar Galactica is one of those series that being reimagined has really, I still has even today at a, a way of tapping into what is still currently going on with our society in, in that uh, um, in that setting. And then we also have Avatar, which many people have, including myself, saw something that we've never seen before in a whole new way. But the question is, because Dune is coming out later this year, do you think, not to be biased, but with everything being done, 
so far prior to Dune being released, do you think Dune can be on that level of reaching an audience that's never seen this before? So I'll, I'll leave it up yeah. to you. I'll, I'll just say yes. The yes, have uh, it. <laughs> yeah, no, the reason I'm saying the yes is because it seems that they have somebody who actually knows how to market the movie. Uh, if we go by that first trailer, I'm not going, uh, it, it generated a lot of interesting reviews. I, I tend to be one of those first people who like to see other people's reactions to things. And I saw a number of different people reacted to the movie, both people who are hardcore Duke fans and people who knew nothing about it, but just say, hey, wow, this really intrigued me. I want to go see it. That is what has me very hopeful for the movie. So... That makes you go, yes, I do think it can. Now, with all things having occurred and whether we'll be able to actually go to theaters or not safely at that time, therein lies the question. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I also want to say yeah, just because um, I'm always like trying to look at this, not from a fan perspective, because the fans are going to go see it. Like for sure, we're going to go see Dune and mm -hmm. more than likely we're going to try and see it in theaters so long as it's safe or pay a ton of money to stream it if it's like a last resort kind of thing but um i try and see it from like a general public perspective and at the very least i want to say that the the actors that they got and the the launch of the trailer i think matters to like a general viewer if they're watching it and they're like oh there's jason momoa and um i see the guy from star wars and there's that kid playing Paul and that kid who's in everything. And like, he's kind of an indie darling. And I feel like he's going to pull <laughs> his own crowd in there. Um, Zendaya is really popular with teens uh, because of Euphoria and Spider-Man. So fingers crossed that like that, like just because actors really do matter. I don't know if they matter like enough to carry the movie, but especially in the age of, parasocial relationships through social media like that's someone you feel close to and that you want to support so I'm hoping that like it pulls people into the story and like the way that we've been talking about it um and the way that we've been analyzing like it's really the the, the, the book's themes about ecology and power and like the complicated structures of of government and how they affect people and culture and the planet itself like hopefully that resonates with people and makes them you know it, it makes them want to look at the story in a new way and also look at the themes in a way that maybe they wouldn't have in the past i i like it a lot but i i don't know if it's going to make it in the cinema very well i mean october is a long way away but we're going to yeah. get so used to streaming things in our own home you know um i hope to see it in the theater when it comes out and I will see it if it's safe you know but right now the pandemic's running at an all-time high and it's it's really scary out there but you just have movie theaters available because we live in South Florida like no do not go outside Disneyland's like yeah we're gonna cancel the annual passes now because we don't know but we live in Florida so we're okay we can go if we want to but I don't know if, if the sales if the money's are gonna come in, because really Hollywood's gonna be suffering for a while after this. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a pity with the timing of this, of this great movie right now. 
And I, I haven't yeah. looked at how wonder, cause like Mulan lost a lot of money from what I can know, but they were, they were kind of really banking on, on China's box office and then underperformed there for a variety of reasons. Um, so I thought like our next closest equivalent is um, the Wonder Woman movie, but I don't know how they're measuring its like financial success. So. I think it's like when Trolls made like a hundred million dollars when it was released on POV, <laughs> that if you are like, yeah, we did great and we're gonna brag about this, but when you don't hear anyone else brag about their stuff being released, yeah, that is not so good. Nothing is happening. And I'm like, they would have mentioned that if that was a blockbuster, you know. For Wonder Woman? Yeah. Or yeah. any of that. After I mean, that. yeah, it had a it had a bad had a bad week. <laughs> I mean, so Wonder Woman what it was, but it, But it, it had a rough week, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be definitely. It's it was always going to, to for me always going to be an uphill battle to have Dune tell this story, especially in two parts. Already three hours the, long, <laughs> or that weight of that of that universe to being explored for the first time. Not to say that Avatar, you know, didn't win people over in that one movie or Star Wars or Battlestar Galactica, but Dune, I think, has an even uh, even a uh, heavier weight on itself because of what we've been reading and it's mm. we'll see what happens I, i'm definitely would like to be optimistic that in october we'll get to see this but i don't know man <laughs> I, yeah really depends on whether or not we can see it in theaters i think if we if it's safe and people are vaccinated and come October, we're back to normal. I think it'll do really well. Don't know because it's it's hitting that like young adult adult audience more. And I feel like it's not targeting itself as like a strictly like a family movie like Trolls was. So I feel like if it comes out in theaters, we might get some people who just like came with their friends to watch it that are then like, what's going on? What is What is this? Maybe I should read the book. I also want to like hope that by October, because I know that, that there's like, there's no way to really to predict the timeline of like how many people are going to be vaccinated by then. I know that they're hoping uh, it's like 70% of the population, something like that by fall. But I'm hoping that if that does happen, what pushes June to like success levels is that no one's been able to go see a big movie in the theater for so long. Because... This is playing. Let's go. Yeah, like because even like friends that I had who maybe went to the movies like maybe six times in a year, which is not a lot if you really think about it. Like mm -hmm. they've been like, dude, I just miss going to the movies. I miss like a gigantic screen yeah. just slotting like two hours of my day mm -hmm. and like or going on a date night to the movies. So hopefully if we're OK and Dune is being released like nationwide then that's enough for people to be like you know what this is like the first major release in like two years at this point let's go watch it yeah. mm -hmm. so fingers crossed that's that's all we can hope yep all right let's move on so over the holidays my daughter got me my own funko pop oh, wow. da <laughs> oh blue eyes 
<laughs> oh, I don't know if you can see my figure over here, but that's. If you been... have it with you, you got to show it off. <laughs> you see it? I have it on the, uh, another screen. Let me see. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> so this one, I got Rebecca one, and my daughter got me one. So I'm like, it came full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing <laughs> that I was surprised that I got, my daughter bought me <gasps> Etsy. So oh. it's a signed copy. I mean, it's, of course it's a copy, but it's an actual, you know, copy of what the original script was signed by the entire cast. That oh my God. Ecstatic about wow. it from my daughter because she knew how much of a fan I was. So, talk about, you know. <laughs> A really good Christmas present, so I was really happy about that. Wow. So I made up for Walmart canceling my action figures. <laughs> made up for it. You're not gonna curse them and try to burn down their house, or no? Just... I'm still gonna curse them. I'm still gonna curse them, but I'm just saying, my daughter kind of saved their butts. So, um, yeah, and I'm still looking around um, at Walmart with Gene and Target. They're still not gonna be what I want to pay, which is like. You should get them soon, Monty, because they're going to disappear All right, so moving on, Dune Comics. So uh, as I mentioned last time, Hoopla has the first volume or the first issue. Uh, then we have the second one. Guess what? The third one is now officially out. So we have now the third uh, issue of Dune House of Trades. So again... Once we're done with this, I'm definitely wanting to get into now, since I have no free time, not to read any more <laughs> of our book, but to read the comics. Um, but the, the first couple of pages is like, wow, uh, Baron is a lot lighter. He's not as fat <laughs> in the beginning. You're going to discuss this. Was the artist ran out of ink. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like you know, pre-Vader. It's not with Anakin. I'm like, okay, so he just looks much different but interesting yeah all right so let's get into our book discussion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My right. <laughs> are you gonna leave with questions or we're we just gonna talk about it no no no. we have we have a presentation I, yeah I, I make pretty powerpoints that's yeah. the only reason i'm here <laughs> but monty give me give me the power am i sharing the screen Stop my share. Okay. You all see it? It's coming. There you go. All right. There we go. Okay. I'm using the, the word laptop for the first time. Okay. <laughs> the Sandman. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it's not totally unrelated. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think how... So, um, so when we made That's this, ah, Jesus, sorry, I got my cat in my lap and he's digging his claws. Oh. I'm just like, all right, you go on the floor now. <laughs> my cat's lurking oh, around. No, if he comes by, I'll show him off. Okay. So to start, um, with the discussion, uh, I just want to point out that a lot of these questions were, uh, made by Heather and I feel like both Heather and I just really, really wanted to talk about part three because it features the best little girl character. Of all time, creepy. creepy. You're like, <laughs> I'm a freak. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. She and knows that's she's why a freak. we love her. 
<laughs> the weirdo girls of today and tomorrow love her so. <laughs> um, but so I think I think what we're gonna do like um, a, a lot of like again a lot of character theme focused discussions and then at the end we can just like talk about the book overall um, how you felt about it how your first reading or second or third reading experience with it was like what you liked about it what you didn't like about it. Um, but kind of where Heather started off and where I thought it was an interesting point to start off was with uh, the Baron, mm -hmm. because whenever you're going back and reading Dune, I feel like you kind of, kind of like when Monty talks about uh, cultural touchstones, you, you see yeah. how like sci-fi and fantasy has evolved and adapted over the years. And when you go back to something like Dune, um, you're kind of seeing a lot of origins of maybe not like where classic villainy or classic hero truly began because that kind of storytelling is obviously very old tracing way back to even before Beowulf mm -hmm. um but it's still like it still feels monumental and kind of like the first of its kind so uh we talked about Vladimir Harkonnen mm -hmm. um that he, he is by all accounts a classic villain and Heather had like the, she pointed out like he's described as like laughing maniacally and like screaming orders and he'll strike out at people and kill people who like disobey him. So I find it really enjoyable to read about his, like his, that type of villain portrayal, the type that's like unabashed in, in how like evil they are. Um, but what do you think of his character? What do you think of the way that he's written and and in some ways, when you see him in context, how do you like his role as a villain? Um, how do you think that kind of character has evolved since the Baron? He's evil. I mean, his his taste for little boys is strange <laughs> to me. Yeah, just Thought like, about including a and hint the of body just lies there. He's like that boy. Uh, you do not notice the blemish, and I'm like, oh my god. Oh god. <laughs> That's evil, yeah, okay. It's very uh, strange. But yeah, evil, yeah, good. <laughs> no. Well, the Baron, okay. I, I, what I always felt was kind of sad with him is that, like, they, they never, I'm hoping that he's better represented in the New Dune movie yeah. than he was in the, in the, in both the original movie, well, the movie by um, Lynch. Um, yeah, by our man Lynch. Lynch. And also, yeah, by uh, I mean, the movie and of course the TV series. Because I always felt that he was truly a combination of the two versions of the Baron that they described. Because the Baron in the uh, movie was just the psychotic villain. Yeah. And the Baron in the TV show or the TV miniseries was the. Um, it's a lot more calculating and the, not poised. Yeah, the, but... the, cutting, the, cutting, the cutting strategist. He was a the courtier who just basically was playing the chess king behind the behind the scenes. And I'm going, the book baron is both those things. He was a combination of the two. And that's what I think made him more interesting. He wasn't just ha kill them. He's more like, hmm, if I maneuver this and I change this and I dabble a little here, they'll kill themselves and then I can laugh. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, that's that's a, that's a good thing to point out, because um, I think because I watched the movie as I was rereading the book, um, yeah. I kind of had at the forefront of my mm -hmm. mind the way that David Lynch portrays him. But you're right that in the movie, he's 
He's like right. portrayed as a lot more grotesque and evil. Like they really, really emphasize that. Um, and maybe because, you know, David Lynch as a director is kind of a weird guy and you wanted to indulge um, in like the over the top aspects of the character, but that's not really how he is 100% of the time in the book. So um, exactly. I, I think, yeah, I think that's that's a good thing to point out. And also to like think about as we're going into the new movie, like are they gonna dial it back a bit to show his cunning manipulative side? Because otherwise, how did he amass all this power? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- I think along that same lines, again, going back to Lynch's movie and seeing how the Baron is, like, the moment that he's talking to Beast for Ben, I want to, you know, telling him, why don't you go back to, I want you to squeeze, then squeeze. So that moment, when we see that in the book, it's not a mod about, I want you to squeeze, and then, like, he's getting, like, actual uh joy out of that moment it was more like i need you to squeeze because it took me a lot of money to get all these people onto arrakis to wipe out the atreides so i need you and has a different text altogether a different context altogether because i need you to kind of like i need all that money to come in so i can pay off what i cost me to do what i did which is a lot different from the how how you know the twisting of the mustache and twirling of that. It's a much different take. Yeah. So it's a lot more subtle in the book than than what we see in the movie. So what happens in the new movie, if they can find that that balance, I, I definitely would like to see that be more refined as opposed to just be like he's just being mean just to be mean. There should be a, a value behind his actions. So at least in the, in the book, it's like, yeah, squeeze everything out of the out, out of the fragment because this cost me a lot of money. So <laughs> we'll see what happens when they do this in the movie. But again, you understand what his plans are and his motivations are, but it's nothing like in the movies. Yeah, I was actually hoping that like we would see like I don't remember when I read this, but the Baron wasn't always like grotesquely obese he was actually cursed by i think um lady gaius helen mohim to be fat and mm-hmm. grotesque. and i feel like that insight into his background and his character of like and then he like got enraged because he tried to like find a way to undo the cursing um of his like morbid obesity and then he had to have like his levitation and i think having a backstory about maybe some like you know, from foreshadowing about what happened to him might really help evolve his character. Um, because we we see him now when in like the movie from the 80s is just kind of like a floating blob of a human with like giant like pustules it's all over his face that we, they were really trying to drive home that he was evil um, and he was calculating. But I hope like, they'll take more of a perspective from the books originally and just like give us new insight about why he's like this. And I think that would be really exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah. In, in new ways. Insight without dialing him back because I do enjoy him being kind of weird outlandish and yeah, like, enjoying like his evil tasks. Like I don't want them to pull it too far in the other direction 
yeah, and like like really emphasize a tragic backstory or his pain like I want that there to inform the character I don't need that there to transform the character yeah so, I, yeah I still like, like it but on the side basically like, yeah on the surface <laughs> right. maybe that's why like in in the comic books they're reflecting him as because at one point in time he was described as actually like quite handsome um but I think like in the movies, they really wanted his like evil, manipulative side of tactfulness of just like taking it too far. They really wanted that to like reflect in his appearance. And so they were like, this is obviously the villain. I hope they don't like step too far away from that in the new movie coming up. But it's kind of interesting to see how like villainy has evolved and how much like from that movie in the 80s, we got you know, villains floating maniacally and like striking out at people with their cane. Yeah. yeah, and I think modern audiences kind of expect that complexity now. Even mm -hmm. if it's not done well, they expect you to at least acknowledge that every bad person has a has a side to their humanity that's complex or at least a little bit good. All right, exactly. Um, one of the things that makes a villain effective is that he has to believe that he is the hero of his story. Yeah, you know, you oh. may not agree what he wants to do, but he has a point. Uh, Killmonger also has a point. Yeah. So it, again, if you have that be the crux of the Baron, that he's not the bad guy. I'm doing this because the Atreides are not good people. And he can make that argument. Then we have an interesting villain to see because I would like to see the world through his eyes. And, and if that could be told, I'm, in, I'm into that. That would be amazing. I would watch that. <laughs> A Harkonnen miniseries. <laughs> Which yeah. I guess ties back into this. Are the Harkonnens the real or even the only villains of this story? Because um, I think the book gets less sympathetic towards... Well, not less sympathetic, but it, it definitely says like, you know, like Paul's not necessarily the savior. Oh, yeah. Of this world. <laughs> we're like, um, seeing it as like a collective as a whole at the end. It's, can you make the argument that like, well, the Harkonnens probably killed less people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like at the oh, end. Jesus. If we're measuring it by that count. We're measuring no, it. Boy. No, <laughs> we're not. Okay. <laughs> house her Conan making comparison. Joe's like stepping back a little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are they the real like I would totally watch a mini series about it from the Harkonnen's perspective and I'm just trying to be successful for my house. <laughs> yeah, you can well, and I think yeah, and I think part of like this question is more um something to think about as you're continuing the series. Yeah. Um, not that I like know too much about the sequels, but I do understand that like over the thousands of years that the the saga takes place in, like things change, and the legacy you leave behind is not necessarily always going to be the one you one what you expected or two what you built towards because anything can happen, anything can change it. Right. Sorry, Mr. Um, Trump. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in fairness, like the whole. Uh, after this, the Fremen really become like speaking the word of Paul as their gospel and like taking his word and just doing whatever in his name. 
And that's what happens in the next book that it's like, this is not what I wanted, you know. Yeah, oh, oh, June Messiah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. That was that was a hell of a read. That's all I'm going to say. It took me a long time to be able to get through that book. But once I started reading it, I was like, okay, this is actually really awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I love I love that Joe's the only one of us who knows he no, knows no. what happened. But, but, <laughs> I've read it. But what I was really, huh? I read it. Sorry. You're the oh, one who read, 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 oh, read the Messiah that, that understands it. It's only you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> only me. Okay. You're but the one that braved it, that survived it with your, with your oh, sanity intact. About, I forgot Heather's read it. So big <laughs> part. Yes. So but I, I was gonna go with the. Over villainy for a moment, and I'm going to say, well, we, we keep forgetting like the, the the bigger manipulating hand behind all this, a uh, house Carino and the Emperor, because Shaddam was a a vain manipulative bastard. Yeah. Not that you wouldn't mm-hmm. need to be one to be emperor of the universe, but that's a whole different story. It's just that he was like uh, the main villain behind everything. He's the one who like uh, engineered the um, the need to uh, have Leto lose Caladan and have to go to Arrakis. He's the one who like had the, the Baron give up the his cash cow basically, and uh, say, "Okay, you can have it back, and I'll give you some of my troops, but you got to pay for it." In other words, he he was just manipulating everything in order to keep power because he was terrified of the Atreides and what they were able to do. Yeah, and, that, and the level of, I think mm-hmm. the level of manipulation that anyone like because in the story power is to manipulate the people, whether through folklore or warfare or just intimidation tactics like that. I mean, it's realistic mm-hmm. and it's also it kind of potentially makes everyone a little bit villainous, if you ask me. Yeah, they're all manipulating each other. All of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. From the Bene Gesserit to the Spacing Guild to <laughs> uh, to the houses of the Lantra. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Exactly. So this question, um, we saved the, the controversial question for the middle of it. Uh, so I'm just going to read it and then I'll, we'll ex- like Heather and I will explain why we brought it up. Because this, I tried to, re- to do research afterwards and I just got like, 30 like think pieces and analysis and people being mad and then people being mad at the people who were being mad so I'll go ahead and read it. Uh, The term white savior is an often discussed trope regarding the portrayal of white characters acting as saviors to people of color oftentimes in a self-serving manner that's the important part. Um, As discourse on representation and diversity in media evolves how does Dune fall into this analysis? Is it fair to classify Paul's role as that of a white savior for the freemen? And apparently, like, I don't know if this has always been a point of contention or if this has always been something that's been brought up, even if in the margins for the book. But I saw a lot of articles from like this year and last year of people really saying like, look, like Dune is really important to the sci-fi genre and it's a lot of your childhoods and your introduction to sci-fi, but like, it kind of falls into that trope. And then I saw a lot of people making the counter argument that's a, that's a very simplified reading of the text and of who Paul is as an individual. So before I give my thoughts on it, I don't know if Heather wants to jump in or if anybody else wants to jump in. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think. It, I mean, it was written in 1963. Mm -hmm. You know, and for the times, white is white. The, the diversity that yet diversity hadn't come in yet. And when you when you do this movie again, or you re, you can recast some of of a, a, a to show more diversity. Of, you you can cast a person of color. I started thinking of the Fremen as like effective Ewoks. Remember the Ewoks? <laughs> Yeah. Right? The Ewoks joined the rebel cause because C-3PO gives a speech and they think C-3PO is a god. Right? So is that... I mean, the color doesn't matter, I don't think. It's the, it's what he represents. You know, the Benny Jesuits have been predicting this, have been manipulating this whole timeline. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, I, I don't know. Cause, but it's, it's inbred in their culture. So I don't think that the color matters that much. I mean, again, it is a story of its time. You can change that. It's unfortunately mm -hmm. unfortunate that's written that way, but you can you have to look at it through better eyes, through education. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is basically the race is inconsequential to the text. Like it, it's not about that. Right. Because it's a prophesized individual. You know, mm -hmm. and it's not like he's going to be white. He's going to be this. It's like no, the Benny Jesuit person will come down and bring this down, and it's a prophecy. It doesn't matter, in my personal opinion. I feel like, um, like I originally got this like comment. I, I was like looking on Twitter, and someone was like, "Oh gosh, another you know, hero that's a white a white actor." And I was just originally thinking, I was like, "Well, Paul kills everybody." <laughs> so, so I don't essentially classify him as like a white character, but in in a way, I can see like this is a new movie, and they chose like as they could like his race is unconsequential but they, they could have chosen anyone yeah um like the main character and from like when you're starting out reading the book you're you're following paul's hero journey or at least what you think is his hero journey and then you learn maybe he's not the hero oh no what did he do this is this is taking a turn for the worse um so but it, they did choose to portray the main character who you're following his like the people who are going to watch the movie for the first time and have no idea what's going on are just going to be like well that well that took a dark turn um they might not view it the same way anymore but they did choose and at least the new movie coming out to give diversify the cast to character like more people color the chance to portray other characters so maybe the new movie is going to take a different perspective on this but i was like i could see it being argued both sides like in a way he's coming to a desert planet and just being like i'll fix it i was prophetized you know but i feel like it's easier now to see paul as maybe maybe he's not white in the books if you were reading it from a different perspective would you always that first thought that goes into your mind is it's gonna be a white guy who's gonna come and fix everything so i think it's it's gonna yeah i would i would think the white savior like criticism would be better reserved for the movies um and even then like i don't know how exactly it's gonna play out in the adaptation if there's gonna be changes to be made but something you said heather is kind of my interpretation of it yeah. where Paul's not necessarily a savior. Like, sure, he's like, that's what the destiny says. That's what the Bene Gesserit wanted. That's to some extent what he's kind of manipulating himself towards, but he's kind of using the free man for his own gains. And he's constantly afraid of like, am I 
am I going to trigger massive destructions? Am I hurting these people? Am I hurting myself? Like, what am I really doing here? And I think, um, and like this, this term came up a lot because I, I was an English major in college and we, we had to analyze this a lot. And I remember someone brought this up related to Daenerys from Game of Thrones yeah where albino dragon lady is the ultimate white savior and i i i it rubbed me the wrong way at the time because i think it's fairly accurate for the tv show to have that criticism where they stumble and kind of fail to really capture the nuance of her character and her actions but in the books it kind of does show that she's not really a savior like she's trying but she's this 14 year old girl who's to some extent has a very limited mindset and doesn't understand always that she doesn't know what she's doing. She's causing harm sometimes. Sometimes she has just a purely selfish perspective and you go back and you see Paul so young and so conflicted and also kind of exploiting both his family himself and these people that I think the term doesn't really apply because it's ultimately about like power structures. Yeah failing to really like help generations or civilizations. Here's a question. What if you portrayed the Harkonnens as black? Ooh. Oh. No, don't do that. Half it out. <laughs> How wrong would that be? Really interesting. Oh. Or you make the heart the Artrades your trading is black. And then the Harkonnens are white. And made, I mean, literally, it becomes a whole race. Yeah, yeah. then there's all these yeah. tests. So it's a difficult thing to kind of to balance where, you, like, in, like in Battlestar, you change the sex of a character from male to female. Yeah. But race. Or to portray it, I think, I think has a lot more consequences. I mean, Especially in the story, like about power and government and ruling and right, so exploitation of people. Yeah. So I'm trying to do that and, and like you know, I want to update it. This uh, is a basic thing. I mean, I'm sure, like, like what Frank Herbert. I don't know. I don't have a picture of him. White guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so simple then. Simple. I write a hero. I want the hero to look like me. You know what I mean? That's what it is. Hero. During the time, whatever, the, the main character to look like me and want, want a little 15-year-old boy to be my, my race. You know what I mean? And that, that makes sense to me because even as a writer, it's hard to write in a different culture. You know what I mean? To understand yeah. that. It doesn't matter what he looks like, but if you're creating it, you're going to default to whatever your background is. Yeah. Just to make things easier. I mean, the, the Memoirs of a Geisha book, written by a guy, written... Uh, from the viewpoint of a woman from a different culture. That's tough to do. Yeah. You know? And he didn't do it well. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, you gotta, you gotta That's a hot take. You get a movie out of it. You know what I mean? New York Times. But you know what I mean? It's, it's just it's just what it was. Back in 1963, who knew it would catch? It's an epic thing. It's great world building. You know, and when you the, the, the question is that when you make it into a movie or TV what show you yeah. in modern times, how do you how do you cast that? Because yeah, and I think I think that's also a good point that like you have to remember that as revolutionary and forward thinking as Frank Herbert is, he's still a man of his time. 
um, which is also something that like I would often see discussed when talking about Lord of the Rings, which if you kind of look at certain aspects of the world building can get a little iffy when seen through a modern lens. But it's like, you're, you're not really blaming Tolkien or you're not blaming um, Frank Herbert for not being, not having the mindset of a 21st century man. Like you're, what you're, I think what, when, if you phrase this question, if you're going to pose this question, it needs to be within the framework of, okay, then how do we adapt it? How do we, what do we change to modernize it without like hurting the original book, not blaming Frank Herbert for being a man of the 60s. But again, I think that we are, we are now becoming more sensitive to, to this- uh, More aware, yeah. To, to this, to this uh, flaw in society. But even now, I, I, it's working reverse-wise to me. Like I was watching WandaVision last night and there's a council meeting with a diverse cast. I'm like, it's 1950. That's not what it looked like, but okay, I'll give it to you. Well. Oh, Gene, don't spoil. I haven't seen one the vision yet. Well, I'm just saying, like, that's not okay. It's not like how it was. Like, when we watch Stranger Things, we get this, like, nostalgic. (laughs) But that's not how the 80s is. But it's how we want the 80s to be. Oh, here's a question. And I don't know if anyone has saw this, but there's an Asian movie called Wandering Earth. I think about 2019 or a big 20- hit in Japan. The blockbuster on Netflix. It's yeah. amazing. So I'll watch it. <laughs> it's really good. I, I highly recommend it. Right, but this is an all uh, Asian cast. Yes, right. So the question is, where are the American actors? I'm like, you don't need to have American actors or be like tell have Americans be part of the story, because this is their story. They're the heroes of their right. story. So. That's the thing. It's like, no, no, they're not trying to save just Japan. They're trying to save Earth themselves. So yeah. that's what you don't need to worry about. You need to include America in here or, you know. We don't, need a fo- we don't need to be the focus of everything. <laughs> right. That's the thing. And that's the thing is that we have to take apart from this is that because he wrote it this way does not mean it's universal across the board. Other people have the exact same kind of view that it's like, no, we all look at it this way because that's our story. So everyone has the same similar version, but I'm like, no, if we just make it universal, which is pretty much what, if you want to take out the white savior aspect, everyone has themselves inserting into themselves into that story anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not saying that that's wrong. It's just, they're the hero of their story. So mm-hmm. whether they're white or Asian, everyone is going to have that point of view anyway. So they're going to want to be the hero. Right, and I'm sure someone's like, see themselves as a hero. No, no more of that. No, but it's kind of the idea that whatever whatever country produces this movie gets to gets to build the cast. Right, puts up the money. Whoever has creative control, up to you. Right, but but you're gonna live in a culture that you came from that you're gonna have influences on. Or if you have like a Russian spy movie, the Americans are the bad guys. You know. No. I want to see a Russian actor do an American accent in a Russian no. movie. <laughs> That'd be amusing to me. It Baseball, apple pie. We know he just. Wow, really? No boy. Hot dogs. <laughs> Hot dogs. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. So. Yeah. Oh, Joe, did you have anything to add to the question? No, no. It was just like uh, one of my. Uh, 
favorite uh, YouTube guys who talked about doing a uh, Quinn. He he answered that same question, and he's like going. First of all, this is at what at least twenty five thousand years in the future, and that we don't know what race or even how human relations would have changed or morphed in all that time with all the people moving from place to place and considering the the place that it's in it, it's sort of like saying okay let me take that entire story and just like focus it through our lens because it's the um convenient thing to do he goes look you could use the mighty whitey uh <laughs> the <laughs> which i was like oh but um, he goes, enjoy the story for what it is, not for you, uh, not for the way you want it to be shaped or to be seen, to be culturally appropriate for the time that you're in. Pretty much the same argument everyone has said. I'm just saying, it's like, can we just let it go and enjoy the story? But we and not inject uh, our current politics into it, and hopefully see it as a as a lens to be able to see ourselves in a different way. Yeah, because I don't find this kind of criticism invalid. Again, because I understand where it's coming from. I understand why it's necessary for this kind of potentially destructive, uh, racially insensitive narrative to be deconstructed. But I think it's more important to apply that to contemporary tales of people writing it in the modern era who should know better, who have the resources and the knowledge of years of literary analysis to know like, hey, maybe this isn't okay anymore. So like when you apply that to the modern era, to modern writers, I think you have more of a valid argument. Whereas if you're like, what are, like it's okay to kind of analyze works of the past and say, well, maybe it's no longer okay to imply certain things or to portray certain things, but like, what do you, like those writers are dead. There's nothing they can do to change the story at this point. Do you have like death of the author? Exactly. Yeah, and like, and, and yeah, you don't gain anything by trying to figure out, well, did Frank Herbert try to write a white colonialism story? Like, you no, you don't know what he was trying to do or what he was trying to portray other than what the text is telling you. And to me personally, the text is telling me that, no, like, this is not a savior story. This is a, a young boy yeah. kind of thrown into a very complicated and potentially very destructive situation. Uh, um, and speaking of yeah. young children and destruction and complications, uh, we're going to talk about Alia, our fave. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to read this. So as a result of being exposed to the water of life while in her mother's womb, Alia displays frighteningly powerful abilities. Uh, what's your impression of her as a character? Is she a misunderstood little girl with uncanny ability, or is she just an outright abomination? What do you think? <laughs> I, I honestly, I mean, it would freak me the heck out. I, I, if I saw a child, a one-year-old child walking around talking with experiences, I mean, sure, she's got a lisp, but I'm sorry, my answer would be, oh my God, kill it with fire. <laughs> you know, it's just too weird, but really imagine it for the time. You know, and really it's cool. It's even weirder. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I love the conversations. I love I, the time jump in The Prophet for book three. Is, it's two years, but so many things have changed. You know, and I'm like, all right. I mean, like Paul's got a kid that gets mentioned a few times, I think. And it's just like, what? Okay. 
it's, it's an adjustment, but I like the way that Alia's written. I like the conversation she has with uh, Lady Jessica and Hera and the way they're, they're trying to plan and the way she's playing like Queen Gambit chess strategies with everybody. <laughs> I'm like, that's... And she remembers like her birth and, and being sentient. I was like, yeah. That's I think she remembers yeah. being in her mother's womb. Yeah, right? I'm like, all right, that, yeah. No, no, well... <laughs> But that's the thing everybody has to remember. She doesn't just remember being in her mother's womb. She remembers being her mother and being yeah. her mother's mother. And generations and being back. Her yeah. mother's mother's mother, plus everyone whom, uh, who uh, Lady Rollo had in, in her psyche. So that uh, all those generations passed, she, she remembers all of that. Like the way she freaked everybody out when she saw a baby and was remarking that he looked like her mom on this <laughs> other planet. And, and then everybody was like looking at her like, we're terrified of you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and like that's and that's definitely true. Like I'm always talking about like how Paul is like only 15 and being thrown into like the deep end and being forced to become a prophet and a leader for a planet, an entire planet. And I'm like, yo, but Alia has like the most trauma even before she's born. And like the picture that I chose um, doesn't even really like hit. It, it doesn't really illustrate how little she is because I think she is only two for the right. prophet, right? Yeah. She's basically a toddler. And I, and rereading that scene was wonderful because I remember being 10 years old and reading the scene where she kills the parent. The parent and I just like, I lost my mind. Like my brain shut down because I wasn't expecting that to happen. Yeah. Heather, you talk about her. <laughs> When Lady Jessica's Baron in the book, they talk about how cunning and thoughtful and how strategic his like plotting was and how evil he is and how much power he's accumulated over the years of like building up his house and like and this little girl that in he was always like one step ahead and just to have him like killed off by a small child it really reflects how powerful that she she is and it's kind of like she's my favorite character yes <laughs> i love her character so much because she's so very complex but uh, like people are like she's saying things and she's doing things that young children are not supposed to be doing so everybody's freaked out by her but i, I find her character really interesting because in the first book we're like she has the possibility and potential to go either way she could become an abomination but i feel like she was really, she was set up to like, just go crazy with power. Oh she God. Much responsibility. And unlike Paul and Lady Jessica, where they, they're trained for all of this potential prescient abilities. She, she just jumped in right away and got all of them in utero. And then she was able to see her birth and she's from too many perspectives. I think there's she wasn't given the opportunity to not go insane. So I, I oh, go ahead, Monty. When you mentioned that in utero, yeah. if Paul is seeing the future layout before him, mm -hmm. let this happen. He could have any time just say to Lady Jessica, don't drink the water of life because of what's going to happen with your sister or your, your child. You're done. But he, he doesn't he see things. Let it happen, right? You can argue that he let it happen. But he doesn't see things in the right order sometimes, or he sees different things. He's not or, sure about his abilities at points. No, what I would argue is that if this didn't occur, 
what worse thing could have happened. If he remember, but uh, with Paul's prescience and his uh, massive exposure to fights at this point, he was attempting to avoid uh, the jihad. Yeah. The mass of. Uh, He's kind of got like yeah blinders battle. eyes and. That's, Right. It's like he's trying to save as many people as possible. A lot of people keep uh, skipping that part. And I'm like going, he allowed the things that occurred to occur so that uh, he could save as many as he could. That unfortunately meant something had to happen. Yeah, Elias kind of collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something. That is true. Yeah. So like. And I'm, I, every time I read this, I just think back. So like when I was 10 reading this for the first time, I was like, oh my God, this little girl is amazing. She's so cool. And I never read the sequels, but like in my brain, I was like, she's going to grow up to be a total badass and like Sir Paul or some crazy stuff like that. Um, and I'll read the sequels. I'll see what happens. But reading back on it now, I'm like, oh my God, no. Like this, this is a tragedy <laughs> with really cool moments. But yeah, she's kind of collateral damage. She's... Unlike Paul and Jessica, who are trained into this and even to some extent have the years to be able to like fully acclimate their brains to the change of, of what they're of their choices, Alia never gets a choice. Like yeah. Yeah. never gets a choice to like anything that she's experienced and she remembers in the past and who she becomes in the present and maybe even the future. She's a vessel of the, of the knowledge of generations, right? She's mm -hmm. that extension of the lens through time and space from the water of life, given that ability, drunk from the womb, you know what I mean? But, well, I mean, it's, it's just how it is. But I, her character is amazing. Her arc is is a lot of fun. I, I have to admit, I like reading about Paul Atreides. I get that he's the whatever it is. Here. I can't even, Uso, whatever. Paul, so many different names for him. But I really like I really like Alia's story and I like I like Lady Jessica's story a lot. It's fun for me because there's so much depth in there. It's just a different like file of, of, of character building for that. And I, I am curious about the many Jesuits. I do like that. Hopefully, yeah, actually, oh, go ahead, Monty. I was gonna say hopefully we'll get a lot more of Alia in the new movie. Other I'm than really excited to see how they do that. Wait for my brother Baron and like that's it. Oh yes. Yeah. Although the kid from the original Dune movie is pretty creepy, so he, she did okay. <laughs> the unnerving. <laughs> I mean, they Lynch probably traumatized her. Is I'm just making the assumption here. Like, away, like, and he like flies into the spaceship and just out of a wall. Oh. Yeah, and I like I didn't really sit down to do an analysis on this, but like all that we all the talk that we're doing about how race is inconsequential to the book, I agree with. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like gender roles, gender dynamics, there's a lot that you can read into the fact that Ali is not a little boy, she's a little girl. Mm -hmm. uh, a little girl coming from a long line of women who have like had to plan for generations and even suffered a lot to be able to arise and, and get to the power that they have. So I don't know, it's interesting. I, I, I would like to some extent um, if ever I have time to like do an analysis of her character and how uh, Herbert portrays the women of Dune. Yeah. Because Ali is kind of like the, what it all comes down to, what it, what it all leads into, in my opinion. She's but a she's wonderful. a really fun character. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so this was Heather's question of, since we're, we're talking about all our side characters, we don't want to forget about our main boy. Um, yeah. The question being, why did Paul seek the throne and was it the right choice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because ultimately he <laughs> wants revenge, but he could have stopped once the Baron was dead. And then he he continues on to fulfill the prophecy that was set out before him where he was being put in a position of being idolized and worshipped by the Fremen. He could have just stopped when he got revenge against the Harkonnens for his family house. He could have stopped, you know, once his father's, you know, once the Baron died. He took it a step further. Was this the right choice? Like it makes you like reflect on his character. So like, well, yeah. I, I have to interrupt that and go back to what I said previously. The the big manipulator in the end was actually the emperor, not mm -hmm. the baron. Yeah. The emperor manipulated the baron by giving him the the choices that he did, and he did the same thing with House of Trades. He was afraid of Duke Leto. Getting his because. Hands. Duke Leto was more popular than he was. So there was that issue with, uh, with that. And also the fact that the Duke was creating an armed force that was as good as, or better than, the Sadhukar of the time. So that's where his fear came in. And he said, no, I, I have to eliminate this opponent, which would be the most judicious way to do it without arousing the anger or suspicion of the rest of the Lantrot. And that was through manipulating the Baron, who already had beef with the Atreides. So it, it was, uh, Paul was basically saying, I'm taking what you want most because of what you did to all of us. So yeah, I think he was justified in taking the throne. Yeah, I think his intentions are always like one of the, the better ones compared yeah. to the intentions of other characters. And something that you say, Joe, I think is yeah. valid of what you said previously is like, he's thinking far ahead. He's trying to think complexly and there's collateral damage right. to his actions, but he's trying That's, to save everyone. Yeah, just doesn't work out. Exactly. He's trying to, <laughs> he, this, this would be the best way for him to stop the jihad. It, well, how can I put it? <laughs> if I say any more, and as far as he knows, yeah. spoiling the other books, well, at least as far as I've read. But again, it's it, it, even he's saying that there's only only so much that I can do, but this is the only way that I can do it. So mm -hmm. he had to take the throne in order to be able to uh, consolidate the power to be able to try and avoid the the Fremen being running loose across on a holy jihad. Uh, slaughtering planet after planet after planet. Yeah, because he, so, he sets out with good intentions. And then it just... Yeah. Snowballs. It just kind of devolves from there. It's like watching yeah. like a tragedy. It's no longer... A Shakespearean tragedy, well, really. It, well, it's a tragedy. Or Greek. A Greek tragedy. the name Atreides. Yeah, exactly. that's true. <laughs> or... or Agamemnon? Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm going to move a little bit. Uh -huh. I think I think I only have two questions left, but I don't want to keep you guys too long. Okay. Um, okay. This was another question from Heather, uh, kind of straightforward, um, of the, the writings in the historical text that begin each chapter of Dune um, are written from, I cannot say her name, Irulan? Irulan. 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 
in Ruland. So she she really only shows up at the end. Um, and what I wanted to ask is if you were a first time reader, so this is mostly for Jane, did you read the excerpts before each chapter? Because sometimes they would like spoil what would happen or they yeah, would like Yeah, away. I know, it's like Bride of, of, of Polytrades, you're like, wait, but when Chani comes in, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't get it. Fine, whatever, I don't know. I mean, it was all right, I, I didn't mind the foreshadowing. It was okay, but then I'd seen the movie before. And the first thing you see is Virginia Madison as Princess Adeline, you know, just like, hey, how you doing? Just explaining it. So it's a, it's a big story, you know, it's a big canvas. So I was okay with it overall. And I think it's the type of like narrative that got adapted to a lot of modern fantasy where they, they include excerpts and aspects of the world building like before the chapter begins. Yeah. I don't know if I'm a fan of it, but I think it kind of makes sense with Dune. Yeah, it does. Because... Yeah, it's the kind of story that would need a historical record keeper. Because there's like, chapter headings on, on these chapters. Well, that too, in a structural format. One continuous read, you're like, that was, yep. that was difficult for me. I was like, where am I? <laughs> so, and I think uh, Heather had an added question here about yeah, like Paul's concubine slash love interest. Yeah, well, it was mostly like, um, Princess Erlon, I like. I find her character really tragic because she's never really given a position in which she could, like, you know, fall in love through marriage. It's like she's right away when she meets Paul. Paul is like, "We're gonna get married." I love someone else. <laughs> I love you. You're not. You're not gonna be. You're never gonna have a place in my heart. Or I think in even Jessica tells. Chani's her name, right? I keep. Yeah. I keep forgetting. Chani. Chani. Yeah. I think he even she even tells him like, "Hey, you know what? We might not go down in history as wives, but we sure are more important." I'm like, "Jesus, <laughs> all is married." No, well, actually, actually, it's a little different. The reverse is like, "Okay, we may not have married these men, but we'll go down in history as their wives." Oh, that's you're right. You're right. I, I forget the wording exactly, yeah. but she's yeah. basically saying like, yeah. "We are important to these powerful men," and I I like that sentiment. Um, because Jessica is really part of the reason the whole story even happened and Chani is very important to Paul but then because of this question that Heather posed I'm like yeah this is kind of like the poor princess is kind of pushed aside but this is the way the culture develops because uh with that scene with with Alan and and Hera like the 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 maid the the ruler and Hera Hera for the beginning you yeah. know, uh, there's a moment where Lady Jessica's there like, but Harry, we do need Harry to, to help talk to the Fremen and get, get, get the, you know, more accepted. And, you know, and Harry would have made a great concubine. For my, like, why didn't I think wife? She, she even knows that it's not, you don't think that way. You got to think politically. Yeah. That's, that's how their culture is, I guess, in this imaginary world. It's very, yeah, it's oh. very monarchy. Marriage is power-based. Yeah. Well, she was just never given the opportunity, but she was like, she was set up. Like her father was very manipulative. He was like, you're going to lead on my family line. You're going to marry for power and you're going to do this. And it, it makes sense that she's like a record keeper for the tone and aspect and perspective of Dune with all of the characters, like having a ton of insight. It kind of feels like you're watching Romeo and Juliet and the guy before the beginning, it's like both houses divided. He's the chorus. 
yeah. he's the Greek chorus. <laughs> yeah, and it's just yeah. interesting to like see from from that like perspective but it's kind of like it's kind of a bummer i think in many ways she's kind of like alia she's just set up to be thought of as this very manipulative like insightful character yeah and i i think it's an interesting choice to make paul's wife the historian like the historian and the record keeper because if you stepped away if you stepped back from the narrative and you only heard that this character was the wife of the the messiah and the the emperor the, the the greater ruler of all you'd think she'd have more of an important character but it's not really about her there are more characters more deeply involved so i guess i i, I kind of like that approach that it's not just the monarchy that plays an important role in this story there's different aspects from the different subclasses and different people um, and then as a character herself, yeah, it's, it can be tragic if you just think about her in isolation. Yeah. So, final thoughts. What did you think of the book? It sucked. <laughs> All right, gonna ban Monty from the stream. We knew him. Man who started this. Uh, final thoughts on this. I will. I will go back and reread this. I, really? I enjoyed it enough. It's got enough quotes and yeah. it's got enough gas in the tank to go one more time, and it it was fun, but not not on. It's it's got different levels. Yeah, it's a different level of story, and you, it's got yeah. layers. And again, the, the the most complex thing, the reason I had such difficulty with it is I like to be spoon fed my sci fi. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like having to work for it. But it's interesting to have to work for it now, being out of school and realizing that, no, no, there are different dimensions to literaturgy. Remember this, you were a literary major back in the day, you know, and the whole thing like, yeah. And you know what, when you, when you look at a literary pursuits, there's a deeper understanding of, of people, of characters, of, uh, of time, space, and, and even your own life. But it's, it's fun to, to get the, that, that, under your belt to understand different stories, to to have more knowledge and education. Even though it's sci-fi, there's still wisdom in it, and there's still fun and imagination. So yes, thank you for lighting this spark and throwing this into my life. Yes, we'll thank you for reintroducing it to me, Monty. That is yeah, thank you. And well, I, I I will agree with that because as someone who like Jean uh, studied English in college, English literature. Um, and I also studied creative writing and a lot of my professors, I never met one who didn't have an issue with genre fiction and always implied that it was less than literary fiction, that it like that it was shallow and that it couldn't like arise to the level of literary fiction. And to me, like as the years pass, I'm like, you people have never read sci-fi then. You've never read fantasy. You never really understood it. Yeah. Yeah, because something like Dune exists um, and it has a lot of complexity and a lot of themes that are applicable to the real life and to human conditions. So like you can't make a blanket statement of, you know, all of sci-fi is like space battles or sexy alien chicks like that's not what sci-fi is not necessarily yeah 
how did you feel reading it for like a second time? Did did anything else like pop out to you? Did you, did you take a different perspective on like how you felt about certain characters? I think just being older makes me see like, because I, I kept mentioning a lot of the tragedies that that happened to these characters. I think when I was a kid, I was just enamored with the world building and like the the crazy power dynamics, the magic, and like well, like the the the, the supernatural aspects, I guess. Yeah. Um, Bene Gesserit as characters and even Alia is like I, I. It was a very surface level read, which I don't think lessens the experience. I think it's important for sci-fi and fantasy and other genre books to be enjoyable on a, on a surface level, um, yeah. especially to younger readers, because you don't like, you don't get anything if the book is just heavy and a drag to get through. So I like the layers of it and I like being able to revisit it now that I'm older. Yeah. I feel like mm. when I reread it, I could really see the aspects of like the Cold War and how it influenced the writing style of mm -hmm. like Herbert. I felt like you saw more insight on like why certain characters acted the way they did. I felt like when I originally read it, I was like trying to understand the movie. And when I reread it, <laughs> I saw, like, oh, maybe there's more to it. And then I, I read up to book three. So it gets weird. It's it's a lot weirder than the movie in some ways and a lot less weird because you see from a different lens of how things are described and you find out that the Baron wasn't always hideous and grotesque and ugly so it was like it was interesting to reread it again and to be reminded of like why like why they acted like this and how very you know plotting the Baron was and how everybody kind of strategically was just trying to wrestle for power it was it was it was a good reread. I'm I'm glad I reread it with y'all. And Monty, what did you think? Did uh, you say it sucks. How many times we'll did you reread it? <laughs> I don't remember how many times I've read this, but being that I've been on this journey since 1984 when this movie came Ooh. out, oh almost going to be 30 years, and even wow. still in this last read, I picked up more stuff that I missed from previous years. As you grow older, you notice a lot more details. Alia, I think, right. for me a lot more um, in this reading because her ending is a lot stronger than what we see in the movies, or at least I didn't think much about her character, but in the context of the greater things, I'm like, yeah, no. It's important to look at all these characters that when I look at, like, when we read a Star Trek novel, where, like, the galaxy's in danger once again, and then it's all put back together in the end. Yeah. This is some, it's so almost kind of refreshing to have this kind of um, okay. this new universe to go back in again and look mm -hmm. at it and just see how it was all laid out and how it's so taking our time with this. I think that's the other thing that I've never done is to take our time reading this as opposed to maybe a couple of weeks I've never had a book go this long for so many months to kind of read it, digest it, talk Sit about it, it, analyze it, and then revisit this again later on. I'm like, so it's, it's like, instead of binging an entire series over the weekend, this is like waiting for each episode to drop every week for however long. Yeah. So it's nice to kind of 
spread it out a bit more because I got to enjoy this a lot more this time than in past years. So yeah, and considering that the Dune was originally serialized, yeah, and like released in chunks, it feels like the way it was supposed to be experienced. And um, there's a lot to say where like in an age of instant gratification of if I'm gonna start a show, it's because I'm gonna like binge watch it over the weekend and finish it by Sunday. Like in that age to actually slow down and really experience the length of this book, I, it does enhance the experience of reading it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, yeah, I just read it what, at least the 12th, 13th, maybe 14th time. I don't lost count. <laughs> that I always. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read it a lot of times. I, I actually bought the, the copies that I have is the one from the movie, the one that has a, the 1984 movie cover. Oh, yeah. And, and I've been rereading that book, uh, I won't say once every year, but once every couple of years. So, and I always bring to it a different lens because uh, as you grow older, you have more experiences. You're going, Oh, I now understand the subtleties of this a little better. Yeah. Or it, it, this, this book always reminds me of an onion. It's like you have that layer after layer after layer after layer after layer. And you can just keep digging. But um, but all in all, I love the fact that it works on so many levels as mentioned. That it, it is a great adventure story. Mm -hmm. You can read it when you're young and go, wow. But then when you're older, you're going, oh, I understand the dynamics of this now. I understand why this occurred. I, I see the, um, the wonderful lens of the human condition that Herbert puts with all this. You know, as a, mm -hmm. as a young man, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm Paul. This is awesome. I'm doing all this. But then as an adult, you're going, oh, my God. What has he done to this character? <laughs> Why did he put him under all these ridiculous pressures and, and whatever else? He had to make him a man immediately after his father died. And had to go into a full survival mode and for whatever else. And I'm going, wow. Just, just it's, it deserves all the praise it's got. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm actually, I am excited to kind of either continue on or even just reread the first book again. I, I um, Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Chief. No, I just, I just hoping it gets a wider audience. I'm yes. hoping that this movie brings people to read the book because that's the ultimate way you pay tribute to it. If you like the movie, read the book. Don't get lazy. I've seen the movie. It's great. Gene, are you talking to your past self, your December self? I don't know. If I like, if I like a movie, I'll go back and read the book. I will. But usually. Movies are the, are, the, are the kindling that start the fire. You yeah. I mean? Because, wait, it's based on a book? Holy cow. Let's go find that. But hopefully so, more people will read. On that note, let's make a plan to come together again after that movie comes out. Yes. Sure. Yes. Yes. A reunion. Yes. That's brilliant. I like that. So let's do that. Give the true final thoughts, your yeah. interpretation, your... We'll do like a... Like reaction to the, the return where are they now what do they think <laughs> in the exact same position <laughs> all right guys. All right, so that's it for me giving it back question. to you monty i have a question really quick on this really quick 
because I, I watched the movie with you guys. I remember the the the, the, the cat milking thing. Yeah, that's not in this yeah. book, is it? No, it is. It is no. the cat lynching. The cat milking. Well, thing? no, there is there is something about the, the poison and whatever. Right, else, but, but it's not it's, it's not specified. Differently in the book. <laughs> right. So, so David Lynch came up with that and just like, yeah, let's just stick that in here. It's weird enough. Yeah, that's his interpretation of something that was not not uh, specified specified to that degree in the book. Yeah. Okay. All right, I understand. I just, that was floating around in my head. That was just creative. Like, okay. right. Thank Again, you. Makes no sense to make that an action figure. Yeah. That, <laughs> thank you. All right. Okay. So. Our last bit, we're going to be talking about Dune uh, and pop culture. So right off the bat, a, a couple of these are going to be from Star Wars. So we have our protagonist, you know, Luke Skywalker. Guess what? On a desert planet versus Paul Atreides. Guess what? Also on a desert planet. So a lot of the things that we are noticing, like, like when John Carter came out, a lot of those elements that were started, like, you know, seeing Superman elements that more movies came out. So by the time that comes out itself, I'm like, people say, well, we saw this already. I'm like, no, that's the originator of all of this. Yeah. And sometimes it gets shorts. Uh, uh, and then it's, it's just desserts. For yeah, that's a short end. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping that, again, Dune doesn't do this um, you know, because of Star Wars. But, you know, we have, you know, the forest that was taken from this. We have the weirding. Uh, way so it, again many similar elements that we have we have the spice mice on castle versus the spice mice on arrakis i mean again very similar aspects and very similar elements um here as uh, speaking of trolls we have you see he who controls the trolls controls the kingdom and i i am that he you're a dude all right, so well, you really brought wow. it together, Monty. Well, I wasn't well, expecting that. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> Monty knows planting and payoff. There you go. Honestly, <laughs> I did not know, I completely forgot about that. So, whatever. <laughs> uh, Moonrise Kingdom, Wes Anderson, which I have yet to see, but I saw this. I'm like, oh my god, that literally is Arrakis on, on the back of this book. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Beetlejuice. Yes. Mm. Well, I haven't seen that movie in so long. But, but it, like everything, it, it comes back. It fits. Yeah. It, the circle, it just, it, it circles back. Nausicaa, mm-hmm. the Valley of the Wind. Oh, I love that movie. So again, you know, the monsters themselves look a lot like the sandworms themselves. We have the Simpsons. Well, it certainly is exotic. Oh, Lisa, is that too spicy for you? I can see through time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Lisa. <laughs> and lastly, I don't know if anyone has seen this, but this is going to be the moment that I want We've to share. crashed into Dune's southern desert. We must get to the rocks. Only there will we be safe from the giant sandworms. They're attracted to the sound of our footfalls, right? Yes, but as long as you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. Paul, uh, why don't you hang back and give us a head start? What? I can walk without rhythm. Watch this. 
Look at me, I'm doing it. Yes, one foot in front of the other. See, just making my way. Uh oh, oh no, wait, oh, hold on. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Monty, did you send this to me like three months ago? <laughs> I don't know. Comes to mind. But walk without rhythm, everyone. Yeah. That's the lesson. Without rhythm and you will attract the worm. Got I, it. I cannot do. I have no rhythm. No problem. One on the All right, guys. Uh, I'm sad to say that this is it for Doom. But we did it. We did it. Thank you for showing up. Nice party. Shank, shank. Like a price nice party. I've got your Chris knife, Joe. I'll get it to you soon. Yeah. <laughs> I know, nice party I know. in spirit. <laughs> As they say, long live the fighters. Long live the fighters. Long live the fighters. I can't do the. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Not very uh, well trained. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> We're done. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. You're still you, here? What are you doing? Go home now. The movie's over. Thank you for everything. I'm like, Yes, thank you for putting this together. Thank you to everyone who showed up. Um, I really enjoyed hearing yeah. everyone's insights, both newcomers and experienced Dune fans. Um, I feel like I, I really remembered like my love and appreciation for this book and so thank you everyone. Yeah. Jim. Well, thank you, Monty, for making me stick to it. Thank you, Joe, for watching with me. And if I have questions, I go back to you guys and we'll we'll keep going on this. Because again, it's yep, it's gonna be sticking with me for a while. So and you and I are gonna start quoting this now back yeah. and forth, I'm sure. And all of our references. Yep. <laughs> all righty um heather any final words um i really enjoyed like getting together with you and like discussing something i've been so nostalgic about for so many years so it was it was a lot of fun we should do this again when the movie comes out are you still gonna dress in costume yes I'm gonna. If not, I'm gonna try and like make a tent or a fort in my house and watch it from in the fort to get the whole, you know, the real experience. Please take pictures. I will. Please forward them. I would take this to the movie theater if I didn't think it'd get confiscated. So I'll I'll be dressed up as letter opener. Can you can jam spreader? Yeah, exactly. Very obviously not sharp. It does not matter. Miami. Thank you either way, Monty. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for putting us together. Yeah. Joe, any final words? Just thank you all. Um uh they say what a love shared is a love expanded, and I, I definitely feel that way about this. That um it's just fun having other people who enjoy what you enjoy and being able to discuss it with them in a, in a manner like this. Especially in times like these when getting together is shall we say, something that can be risky. High risk. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. But, um, no, and I just hope that this does continue, and I can't wait to, to talk to everybody about what we thought about the movie once you've seen it. 
And just thank you all. So uh, again, I, I'm, I'm more than happy that we finally got to do this, let alone do this for almost four months. Um, I, I can't wait to do this again with you guys, whatever capacity that may be. So um, just thank you. So that's stay safe, everyone. All right. Indeed. Stay safe. Yeah, come back for the movie. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Exactly. Bye-bye. Bye, dude. Book close. Bye, dude. Bye-bye. Dude. Bye. All right. So thank you guys for listening, finally. You should be proud of yourself having gone through all three book podcasts. Good work, Misha. <laughs> Don't Misha her. She did not read it. She got through. I mean, she's here. He's straight for her. No. <laughs> Well, the next time I talk to her and she doesn't know anything about Dune, I know she didn't read it. Well, she didn't have to read Dune. She's not. Well, whatever. She's a normal person. Normal. So we're saying you're abnormal? She's so normal. <laughs> She's abnormal. All right. So, uh, again, Dune is going to be coming out in October. Hopefully it's not going to be delayed any further. But in any case, if you have HBO Max, you get to see it free. If you want to venture it out onto the big screen, which I definitely think we should at least see it on IMAX. I don't think we're necessarily in 3D. I just want to see your friend in the garbage bag. Oh, Heather, yes. Heather did say she would get dressed up, but we'll see. Again, this is something that I've been planning for quite some time, and I'm glad that you, Mr. Gene, got through this. You still survived. You're still sober. You're st- well, ish. Ish. Yeah, more ish than sober. But in any case, I'm glad that we got to go uh, through this together. So, on that note, guys, we'll talk about Doom when it comes out. And hopefully we'll go into really good, deep discussions to see uh, how well the book compares to the new movie. Uh, remember, you can always email me at monstersci-fi-show at gmail.com. You can follow me on the various social networks. So, again, thank you for listening to us on the Monster Sci-Fi Show. It's sci-fi. From a certain point of view. My God. Three in a row. Good for you. All right, now I'm going to start like cool cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it. Creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. Welcome to the Ring of Thunder, the most electrifying wrestling podcast in the Thunderverse and the ESO network. From the power of the people's host, Sexy Thor, critics say, it doesn't matter what the critics say. You already know you're in for a hammer swinging, burrito eating, mic blazing, hair raising time with this weekly wrestling adventure, WWE, AEW, Impact, and whatever else I can possibly fit. If you hear what the Thunder is talking. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.